lusting and his hunger for power became known to more and more people, the demands to do something about this outrageous man became louder and louder. Welcome to Our Weird World. I am your host, John Henson, and this week, looking at the story of Rasputin, a famous Russian character. Uh, I think a lot of people have heard the name, but they don't really know the actual story. Like, why was he so infamous? And so we are going to look at that this week, and let's jump into it. Grigory Rasputin was born in the peasant village of Pokrovskoy, nailed it, uh, in the Siberian region of Russia on January 21st, 1869. Uh, He had seven other siblings. All of them died during infancy because it's Siberia, like one of the most inhospitable places on earth that people choose to live in. And it's insane to me. Um, But... Other than that, like we don't really know a lot about Rasputin's childhood, uh, mostly because literally no one, including everyone else in Russia, did not care about what was happening to people in Russia, especially in Siberia. Uh, so uh, we instead fast forward to 1886 when Rasputin is 17 and he marries Praskovia Dubrovina. And has seven children with her. Uh, Only three of those actually lived, which I guess is a better success rate than uh, Rasputin's mother. But still, Uh, in 1897, Rasputin became very intensely fascinated with religion. And he decides to leave his family to go on this massive pilgrimage to try to find the meaning of life and, you know, really understand God and all of this. Um, And basically his pilgrimage consisted of him just kind of roaming all around Russia and parts of Eastern and Southern Europe for months on end. And he would just visit all of these various old Roman and Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox religious sites along the way. Uh, and by the early 1900s, Rasputin had finally solidified his beliefs and he starts preaching. He develops this small following and then converts his father's cellar back in Siberia into a small chapel. Now, because of this, rumors start circulating around uh, Pokrovskoy that Rasputin had started a cult. Because, I mean, look, any kind of small religious group that forms out of nowhere, whose leader has just come back from a months-long journey to visit a bunch of you know, his holy sites and all that. Yeah. I can see why people would make that connection. Um, and they also started this rumor that his followers were basically performing this ceremonious washing thing. Like they were washing his entire body before he would preach to them. And, they also thought that the group was singing very strange songs that they like no one had ever heard them before. And so obviously it's a cult and they're not like super wrong. Um, some people actually believe that Rasputin was practicing, uh, self-flagellation, 
which not as dirty as it sounds. It's essentially the act of just like beating yourself up in the name of religion and like just feeling convicted and, and trying to discipline yourself. Um, it's, it's like a very extreme version of what evangelical Christianity does. Like evangelical Christianity will just verbally, uh, abuse you more or less. Uh, this sort of thing that Rasputin was doing is he was physically like punching himself, stabbing himself, flogging himself, uh, in the name of trying to be a better person. Um, he also, uh, they also like people also began claiming that Rasputin was having orgies with his followers. And look, if there's any clear cut sign that you're in a cult, it's when everybody's having an orgy with each other. Um, but by 1904, Rasputin had gained a notorious reputation as a holy man who could resolve just about any spiritual problem that someone was having. Uh, he traveled to Kazan, which was a, a larger city about 900 miles away from uh, their village, and actually convinced the city's clergy to recommend him to Bishop Sergei in St. Petersburg. Uh, he just wanted to go talk. He wanted to try to build up his status, get some more resources out to Siberia. And the following year, uh, Rasputin actually met with Bishop Sergei, who then introduced him to uh, Archimandrite Feofan. What a name. Uh, that was, uh, who was a Russian archbishop, who then in turn invited him to stay at his home. So now he's gone past the bishop. Now he's, you know, living with the Russian archbishop. And a few months uh, after living in St. Petersburg, Rasputin had basically ingratiated himself with several members of the Royal Russian family, which then led to a meeting with Tsar Nicholas in November of 1904. Uh, one of the Tsar's children, Alexei, suffered from hemophilia, which is this disorder that basically causes the blood to be unable to clot. So essentially like he's essentially just living on blood thinner. So like if any cut could just cause someone to bleed out forever, you know, like even something super small, like, you know, sometimes maybe like you're playing with your cat or your dog, you get a little scratch. Like if you're a hemophiliac, that can be deadly. Any kind of bruises that you get very easy to have internal bleeding and, you know, very easy to die from that. And so, um, Nicholas, Sar Nicholas and his wife, Alexandra quickly became convinced that Rasputin was this special man of God and that he had the ability to supernaturally heal their son in 1912, uh, as things tended to do, Alexei suffered an internal hemorrhage after a rough carriage ride. Like that's how brittle hemophiliacs are like can't ride roller coasters or do anything like you have to be very you know very stable very cushioned otherwise like your body just falls apart <laughs> internally um it actually got so bad that alexi developed a fever and many people within the royal palace thought that he was going to die uh alexandria or alexandra sent a telegram to rasputin who by this time was back in siberia and was basically just like, please send your thoughts and prayers and whatever. And Rasputin 
Uh, he takes it a step further. He responds by saying, God has seen your tears and heard your prayers. Uh, do not grieve. The little one will not die, but do not allow the doctors to bother him too much. And crazy enough, two days later, the internal bleeding stopped and Alexi actually made a full, totally miraculous recovery from this. Uh, no one could really understand how, like it was super clear that this kid was going to die and then Rasputin responds to the telegram. He's like, dude, just chill. Everything's going to be cool. And then it was. And people were blown away that they thought that from the other side of the country, Rasputin had used his magical supernatural God powers to heal this kid. Um, you know, Alexandria specifically was convinced that Rasputin had supernatural abilities and raised his status within the family's royal court. Meanwhile, Rasputin himself had developed this belief that succumbing to earthly temptations such as like sex or alcohol were actually necessary to feel humility, which would then lead to repentance and salvation, which is the exact opposite of what all major religions are teaching, right? Like Christianity, um, all the other stuff is like, hey, avoid these things. Your body is a temple. You want to avoid them, right? They are sinful. They are bad. You don't want, you know, consuming and engaging in these practices will actually take you farther from God. And Rasputin was like, no, more sex, more drugs, more alcohol, make you repent, make you closer to God. And he just became this promiscuous drunkard and used his position in the Royal court to take advantage of everyone around him. I mean, he would go around, he would just get all of these women drunk. He would have sex with all of them under the guise of, you know, hey, we must do this. We must make sex to get closer to God. After we make sex, we repent. And because that's what God really wants. God wants us to repent. God, God, God do not care how we get to repentance. God just wants us to repent. And so we make drunk, we do sex, we feel bad right? Because look at us, we're gross. You feel bad for having sex with me because I'm hairy, gross, religious man. I feel bad having sex with you because you gross, ugly Russian lady. And we both go to God, we repent and we get closer to God. So let me put my wiener inside you. And then we both feel bad. And this dude did this. I don't know why I went so long with that. It got uncomfortable. Um, but he, he, like, he just, this is what he did. And he made it his just daily habit of doing this to as many people as he could. Uh, not surprisingly, a lot of people were not okay with this kind of lifestyle. And on June 12th, 1914, uh, Kionya Guseva, a 32 year old noseless prostitute, noseless, probably had like syphilis or something, but or maybe she like maybe it was like a weird Russian punishment for being a prostitute. I don't know, but she didn't have a nose. We do know that, and she ended up stabbing Rasputin in the stomach after he had made unwanted advances against her. And I don't know, man. Like, what is that conversation like? Like, hey, Tionia, 
Let us make the sex together. Let me stick wiener in nose hole. Want to see what nasal sex feel like. Then we get closer to God because it very shameful me sticking wiener in your nose. You have to smell wiener. I have to feel boogers on wiener. It's very shameful. This help us repent to God. <laughs> ah! Sorry for that visual. Anyway. Uh, but this woman uh, like stabs him uh, in the stomach and many people in the royal court thought that he was not going to survive this attack. But after undergoing a, a long extensive surgery and spending several days in the hospital, Rasputin made a full recovery. And again, people were thinking like, oh man, this guy's onto something like God, another miraculous healing said, maybe he's, maybe he's right about this. Uh, when World War I began, Rasputin opposed the war efforts, but continued to provide counseling and, and influenced the Russian leaders as they developed their strategies for the conflict. Um, Rasputin claimed to have a revelation and a vision where he saw the Russian army failing unless it listened to the leadership of Tsar Nicholas. And because Rasputin had literally not been wrong yet about anything, uh, Tsar Nicholas, who had no idea how to command an army, was put in charge. This would be like if um, King Charles, you know, if the UK goes to war, you know, and they're trying to get into World War III, and they have this preacher who is kind of like special counsel and the preacher comes in and he's like, Hey guys, I had this vision from God last night. And look, I realize we have like this giant strategic, uh, cabinet of Russian or of military leaders have a ton of experience in the military and in dealing with conflicts and war. But my vision was because you guys didn't listen to King Charles over here. Granted, he has never served in the army of any kind. He doesn't even know how to play battleship, right? I get that. But God told me that if you don't listen to his leadership, the UK army is going to get massacred. And so and so that would be like putting King Charles in charge of all that. So again, though, Rasputin, he like has made all these weird predictions and he's made these miraculous recoveries, hasn't been wrong yet. And so they listen to him and they put Tsar Nicholas in charge and sent him off to war. And so Nicholas, Russia joins World War One. Tsar Nicholas is off, you know, out in the battlefield making strategic decisions. And with Nicholas out of the way, Rasputin began using his influence over Alexandria, Nicholas's wife, to begin manipulating the royal court and giving himself even more power. Um, so not like not surprisingly, like Tsar Nicholas was completely useless as a commander. And so the Russians began struggling during the war. The economy began to tank. Uh, people began getting frustrated. They started dividing themselves, started talking about overthrowing the royal family. Uh, and eventually Prince Felix Yusupov, Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich and Vladimir Pershkevich devised a plan to again, like overthrow the Royal family. Uh, and they decided that Rasputin had to be the first one to go. He had to be the first domino to fall and probably right about that. So on December 29th, 1916, 
uh, Yusupov invited Rasputin to his palace for drinks, some good gentlemanly company. And Rasputin arrived shortly after midnight and was quickly ushered down into the basement while Pavlovich and Perskevich waited upstairs. And like there was obviously not going to be anything like that. Like they were just going to get right into the assassination. Uh, Yusupov offered Rasputin some tea and cakes that had both been laced with cyanide. And at first Rasputin, he's like, no, friend, I cannot accept this. This this is not good. How about we make sex? We get close with God together. Gay sex, the worst sex. Very shameful sex. Not my opinion. That's just old Russian timey. Don't cancel me. We make very gay sex. Make very gay love. Make human centipede with wieners in butts. And then maybe... Maybe we go repent for God. We all get closer to God together. Uh, maybe we do lines of coke off wiener, then do a human centipede wiener thing. I don't know. Maybe we can. I don't know. Get us close to God. It get us very close to God. It's <laughs> you know what's crazy about this? I, like, coming into recording this episode, I had no intention of doing very graphic Rasputin Russian accent. But it just happened, and I'm going to keep rolling with it because it makes me uncomfortable. And I know if I'm uncomfortable, almost everyone listening to this is also very uncomfortable. So it's fun. So (laughs) reset here. Uh, Yusupov laces tea and some mini cupcakes or whatever with cyanide, offers them to Rasputin. He initially refuses, but eventually Rasputin, you know, gives in starts eating and drinking and uh, Yusupov thought that, you know, the cyanide would take effect pretty quickly. Right. But after an hour, uh, Yusupov was shocked when Rasputin was showing no signs of any kind of illness. Um, Rasputin then asked for some Madeira wine, which Yusupov gladly provided after he had mixed more cyanide into the bottle. Like he just straight directly pours the cyanide into the bottle, mixes it in and pours him another glass of wine. Um, Rasputin drank three glasses of the cyanide laced wine and still acted like nothing was wrong. Totally fine. Guys, come on. I am good and drunk now. Really want to make bad decision. Make very strong gay Russian pony sex with you. Really, really entertaining idea of human centipede. That I talked about earlier. I know you didn't like that visual at first. Gonna bring it back up. I like idea. Wiener butt, wiener butt, wiener butt. I think very shameful, very gay. Will bring us closer to God. We can repent. We can feel bad. That bring us closer to God. We all emerge as better human after this. What do you say? Come on, comrade. Let's do this. And... Still, at that point, like Yusupov, he's had enough. He goes upstairs, grabs a revolver from uh, his room and comes back down to the basement, points it over at Rasputin and says, uh, you better look at crucifix and say prayer. And then immediately like super action movie kind of thing, right? Fires a single shot directly into Rasputin's chest, right in his heart. And so... Rasputin, you know, he kind of slumps over and figuring that that had immediately killed him. Yusupov goes back upstairs, grabs the two other guys who have been waiting and like, dude, what takes so long? Let's get this over with. And so they finally come uh, back downstairs 
one of the men took Rasputin's clothes and actually changed into them so that they could all return to Rasputin's apartment to make it look like he had come home. So like they had this whole alibi figured out. Like, you know, one of them was going to pretend to be Rasputin just in case any witnesses saw him returning home. They could corroborate that with the police and make it look like, you know, that they hadn't just murdered him. And so with their alibi in place, they do this. One of the guys goes in, tries to probably makes a ton of noise, makes it really obvious like, oh, Rasputin's come home. He's drunk again, whatever. But their alibi is in place. They all get back. They return to Yusupov's palace a, a short time later. Now. What's insane about this is that when Yusupov went back down to the basement to make sure that Rasputin was dead, you know, probably kind of pokes him a little bit, you know, maybe checks, you know, his pulse on his neck. At that point, Rasputin leaps up from the floor and knocks him to the ground, knocks Yusupov to the ground. Now, remember, they have stripped him of his clothes. He is completely naked right now. And... Rasputin knocks Yusupov down, runs up the stairs, breaks out of the house and runs into the courtyard where Piraskevich, he's there. He has his gun. He shoots Rasputin two more times, knocks him down. Um, the three men then grab Rasputin's body from the snow. Um, at this point, historians think that he is still alive at this point. Uh, they bind Rasputin's arms and legs together and then drive over to a nearby bridge and dump him into the Malaya Nevka River. Uh, Rasputin's body was eventually found a couple of days later on January 1st. But what's crazy about this is that one of his arms had broken free from the restraints. And a lot of people believe that he would have survived that he had survived the gunshots again and that he was about to escape one more time, but he ended up freezing to death in the, the cold river and he was buried the next day. And that is the legend of Grigory Rasputin. So there you go. Grigory Rasputin in the books. That's such a weird song, right? Like it's by an artist called Boney M. Um, I don't even think it was a one hit wonder when it was initially released in the seventies. Like I think it, it became popular pretty recently. Uh, it kind of like got, uh, became like a social media trend for a little while, but yeah, just a weird song, but basically tells the story. You know, if you ever were interested in that, but other than that, Let's see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, Grigory Rasputin, born in just an awful part of Siberia, also just known as Siberia. Um, only child out of eight that survived and then ended up having seven children of his own, three of whom only survived. 
don't really know what happened to his family. Like once he got involved with the Royal court, but I, I mean, he guess I, you know, he became this wild religious leader and left him, left them. Uh, number two, he goes on this crazy pilgrimage and becomes to believe that like the more sex and drugs and alcohol that you consume, the closer you can get to God because you'll feel bad about doing those things. And God just wants us to feel bad all of the time is essentially the gist of what he was preaching. And then number three, uh, the longest assassination attempt probably ever consumed so much cyanide, like almost he, I mean, he's like, uh, Michael Malloy from a few episodes ago, uh, just would not die. And so it took three gunshots and then, uh, tossing him into the frozen river, uh, before he actually died. Next week on Our Weird World, we are going to look at a couple of just generally awful people from history. Not like, not like Hitler awful, but just people who sucked. As human beings, right? Uh, we are going to look at the stories of Alexander Keith, James Jameson, and Marie Elizabeth Kanzbutbul, uh, and just look at just, they, they were bad people, just hateful people. And we'll see why that they were seen that way. Uh, other than that, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Keep telling all your friends and keep it weird. Right outside of this one church town, there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country. We pray for rain and thank him when it's fallen, because it brings a grain and a little bit of money. We put it back in the plate. I guess that's why they call it God's country. We turned the dirt. And worked until the week's done, we take a break and break bread on Sunday. And then we do it all again, because we're proud to be from God's country. I don't care what my headstone reads or what kind of pine wood box I end up in. When it's my time, lay me six feet deep in God's country. I saw the light in the sunrise sitting back in a 40 on the muddy riverside, getting baptized in holy water and shine with the dogs running. Saved by the sound of the bend found, Dixie whistled in the wind, that'll get you heaven bound. The devil went down to Georgia, but he didn't stick around. This is God's country. <laughs>